I want to bring you a message today entitled, Seven Things You Need to Start Doing Right Now to Totally Transform Your Life. Seven things you need to start doing right now to totally transform your life. Some of these are going to be very spiritual things. Some of these are going to be very practical things. But I can guarantee you, if you will do these things, you can take your life. I hate to use a trite, banal term that's been worn out, but you can take your life to the next level or whatever level you want to if you'll do these seven things. Number one, let's read before I get into it, Romans chapter 12. Because... Romans chapter 12 is one of those chapters that sort of says everything. So since I'm preaching a, what I call a shotgun blast message, it covers a lot of territory. I want to read a chapter that covers a lot of territory. So here we are, Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So you see there, worship is not just singing songs in church. Worship is the way we live our lives. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Please do not infer from that that God has three wills, good, pleasing, and perfect. There's one will of God, and then there is a permissive will of God. Be careful what you pray for. God may let you have it. And if you keep praying for something that's not even God's will for you, he may give it to you. A lot of people don't realize that. You can pray yourself into something that was never God's will. The whole nation of Israel did it. They prayed for a king. We want a king. We want a king. We want a king. We want a king. It was never God's will for them to have a king. But they prayed so much, finally God said, fine, you want a king? Here's Saul. Have at it. Here's what he's going to do. And he did it. If they had it to do over with again, they would probably have been happy with a prophet. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Notice it does not say, Think of yourself more lowly than you ought, either. We shouldn't think too highly of ourselves. And, and you know, one of the most aggrievous things to me is to hear somebody put themselves down all the time. Don't do that. You don't have to pump yourself up, and you don't have to beat yourself down. Just think of yourself accurately. Rather, think of yourself with sober judgment. What does that mean? Sound judgment. Prudence, alacrity, acumen, wisdom, understanding, accuracy. Think of yourself appropriately. In accordance with the faith, God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each one of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. As a sidebar here, let me just tell you that in my personal opinion, a lot of Christians love what is good, they just don't hate what is evil. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, 
but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Seven things you need to start doing now that will totally transform your life. Number one, vow to start every day in the word of God and in prayer. No exceptions, absolutely no exceptions. Develop your hunger for God. Why is this important? It's important because the law of first fruits that God established way back in the Old Testament. The law, the law of first fruits says that when you, and remember in antiquated Israel, the, the means of income was agrarian. They were farmers basically, either of crops or of animals. They were either uh, her, sheep, herders of sheep, goats, camels, oxen, donkeys, whatever, or farmers that till the land and grew plants. So plants or animals was basically the mode of income for people in ancient Israel. There were a few other means of income, but primarily they were an agrarian society. They lived close to the land. The law was bring the tithe, the tenth, to the sanctuary of the first fruits of your crop. So when your, when your crops came in and they first bore, you take the first 10% of the best of the crops and you brought them to the sanctuary and you dedicated them to the house of God. And they used those crops in a variety of different ways. If you had animals, you took the firstborn of the, of the healthy, and you, you took the healthiest one and you brought the firstborn. Why is this significant? Why did God implement this? Here's why. If, if we give God the first 10%, we're making a statement of faith. We're saying, God, this is the first of my crops. I have no guarantee that a hailstorm is not going to come and destroy the rest for the rest of the season. I have no guarantee that a swarm of locusts the size of Louisiana is not going to swoop down on my field and eat all my stuff. So I'm going to bring you the first 10% and give it to you, trusting that you'll, you'll make all the rest come in like it ought to. Now, that same principle ought to carry over to our tithe today. I don't even write checks for my tithe money. I've got it automatically programmed to my computer. I don't think about it. I don't worry about it. Every week, boom, my tithe money just comes out and goes where it's supposed to go. Above my tithes, I give an offering to this church. Every week, it just comes out and goes here. And that's the way it ought to be. Before you write anything else, you ought to write your tithe check. Hey, man, that was good. I was expecting to have to do the narcolepsy thing. There was a guy in Columbus, Georgia. His name was Neil. 
and he owned two tree nurseries. God blessed him. He was very well-to-do, lived in an incredibly beautiful house. Every Christmas, they decorated every room. I don't know how many Christmas trees they had. Neil could have done anything he wanted to do. You know what he did when he got, he paid himself every week. He got paid on Thursday. He did not even wait until Sunday to pay his tithes. The minute he got his paycheck, he did payroll on Thursday. He got his paycheck. He sat down. He stopped everything he was doing, and he wrote his tithe check, put it in his pocket, got in his vehicle, and drove to the church where I was the associate pastor and handed it into the bookkeeper and said, I, I don't even want this in my possession for three more days. Here is my tithe check every week. He would drive there. It was before the golden age of the computer where you could just do that. He, uh, he would drive to the church and give her that check. He said, I don't want to hold my tithe any more, any longer than I have to. What a spirit of giving. He, Pastor Don and I went up there one year because he had started coming to the church, and he was a nice guy. He said, hey, you get ready to buy a Christmas tree. Uh, come on down. I'll give you a good deal on one. So we were walking around the nursery, and he had these Christmas trees in there, and I've never seen anything like it. They weren't like any normal Christmas tree. They were some special thing. And they had these limbs about this big around with needles so thick and dark green. And, and, and the, the tree kind of, the limbs kind of went out in level. So it wasn't this perfect, thick, full. It had spaces between them, but it was just gorgeous. And they were like almost $200 for a tree way back then. Way back then. <laughs> when I was a youth pastor. Just off the ark, you know. But um, he said, would you like to have one of these? I said, well, that'd be nice, but I'm not going to pay $200. He said, oh, just give me 30 bucks and call it done. I said, <laughs> took that thing home, and man, we had the tree, the bomb diggity tree. And it's because he's generous like that. Anytime we do something at the church, anytime we had an issue at the church, you could always count on Neil. He would come through. Now, he had his issues, but when it came to, to giving and generosity, he had it figured out. First fruits. First fruits. Now, the same is true. Forget about money. Forget about crops and goats. How about our time? Every day we get up, what are we going to do with the first fruits of our day? Are we going to give that to hitting the snooze button seven times? Yes, seven's a perfect number. I feel it. Oh, This morning, for some reason, I got up before Donna. And on Sunday mornings, I try to sleep to the last possible moment. But this morning, I got up before her. Went in there, and we, we have this little thing. We've, we've ditched our coffee maker, and we've gone to a French press and a carafe, and it, it takes more effort to make coffee in the morning. So we do as much as we can the night before, but you just have to stand there, and you have to do it, you know. So she was, she was still in, in the bed, so I went in there, and I... I hit the button and got the water boiling and I poured the coffee in the French press and poured the water in the French press and got everything ready and made coffee. And I had pressed the coffee down through the French press and it was sitting there and I put some extra water because I brew, I brew it real strong in the press and then I cut it with water in the craft so we can have more coffee because the French press we've got won't brew but about six cups. So I, I brew 10 by adding, you know, cutting. So, because six cups is just, enough to get me started anyway 
Behind every man is a woman perfectly willing to explain everything he says. I saw one the other day, so I said, behind every successful man is a woman rolling her eyes. I went, whoa, what does that mean? So anyway, anyway, I'm sitting there, and after you put the, after you put the coffee in the, in the French press and you put the cover back on, you're supposed to wait four minutes to let it sit there and brew. So I'm sitting there waiting, and I hear Pastor Donna, she's padding in the room, got her robe on, and she's all bundled up, and she's got that little sleepy mole face, you know. She comes there, she looks at me, she... And then I kiss her, and she looks around me, and she goes, and she she finally, all she could see was the clear water in the carafe waiting for the coffee to pour. And then she finally looked over, and she said, "Oh." She saw the coffee in the French press. You could just see relief. She was like, "Oh." She said, "She said I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out." And she kissed me. When all else fails for Donna in the morning and she can't explain something, she'll grab me and kiss me. And that just makes it all right. So, so it worked. It was good. But the first fruits of our morning shouldn't be given to the God of coffee. Nothing wrong with... Some of you went... Oh. <laughs> Nothing wrong with drinking coffee in the morning. I'm going to drink mine, Jackson Brown. But it doesn't need to be the priority. I promise you, if you'll do this, if you'll vow to start every day in the Word, oh, pastor, get real. I barely got enough time to get up, go to the bathroom, throw my face on, and dash out to the car to get to the work in time before I'm late. Well, you know what? Let me just give you a tip, sweetheart. Go to that little alarm clock and set it back for about 20 minutes and get your backside out of bed earlier. How about that? And I say that lovingly and jokingly because I don't like to get up any more than you do. And it's hard to get up early in the morning. And when you already got your routine, you already do your stuff, it's like, man, that preacher, he needs to just get out of my business now. That morning stuff, he ain't got no, you ain't got no place sticking your nose in my bedroom in the morning, you know. I understand. But if you want to start your day right, I ask you with all my heart to consider praying about doing this. Start every day in the Word and in prayer, no exceptions. Develop your hunger for God. If you will start every day with God, I promise you, listen, I promise you, yea, verily, not like a politician doth promise. No. <laughs> Saith the prophet, I promise thee, thy day shall be better if thou shalt start it with thy God. It will. You'll find yourself more peaceful. Open the word. I don't know what to read. I don't like to read. Well, you got this little man with a weird voice that'll read it to you. He sounds like this, and the Lord's sad. You know, it's like, I don't need Jack Palance, man. Just read it, you know. And the Lord said, go. But you can get somebody, you know, I, I mean, you know, hey, get, find a way. As much stuff as there online nowadays, you can probably find anybody you want to to read. It. You can probably get President Reagan to read it to you. And God said, you probably get Bill Clinton. And God said, no, he wouldn't read it. I'm just joking. Uh, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I'm just joking. Just joking. You could probably find, I don't know, anybody to read the word. Yoda. Mm. Say God did. Find somebody to read it to you. Wake your spouse up and make them read it to you. <laughs> 
I'm getting evil looks. But if you'll get up every day and instead of starting your day with the news, which you can't control anyway, and won't do anything but, but inject negativity into your mind first thing, give the first fruits of your day to God. Listen, he gives the first fruits of all he has to us. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't leave anything out there. He gave it all. When he walked down the Via Dolorosa, he bled out for you and for me. He didn't pull any punches. He didn't cut us short. He didn't, he didn't do anything to, to shortchange us. When he died for us, he laid it all on the altar. I challenge you to rise up and do this. Start Start your day in prayer. Start your day in the word. Give the first fruits of your morning to God and see if your day doesn't go better. Number two, make life-altering decisions to forgive. Make life-altering decisions to forgive. I talk about forgiveness a lot because I'm going to tell you, after 40 years of ministry, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is going to keep more people out of heaven than anything else. Unforgiveness. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We always stop there. But there's two other verses after that. And here's what they say. For if you forgive men their sins when they sin against you, your Father in heaven will also forgive your sins. But if you do not forgive men their sins against you, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your sins. Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is a sin. And it will keep us out of heaven, guys. But it's not a sin that we commit as much as it is a proactive decision that we omit. I think forgiveness many times is a sin of omission. What we choose to do is try to put a mental block up. How many of you have ever flown on an airplane with a screaming baby in the cabin? You know how you try to put a block, you know? You just try to block it out. It's hard to do that. You just try to block it out. I was somewhere the other day, and I don't know why this got on my nerves, but I was somewhere the other day, and every few minutes, this beep, 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 beep would go through the thing, and I was like, I almost had a seizure. You know, I was like, what in the world? I looked at the woman, I said, I could never work here. She said, oh, just get used to it. I said, "Uh uh-uh. I said, that's like a pencil in my eardrum. I never get used to that. Some things you can't hardly block out. It's hard to block them out. Forgiveness, we tend to block out things that we need to deal with, not because we're so mad about it, but because we, listen, we just don't want to exert the emotional and spiritual effort necessary to work through the process of forgiveness. Forgiveness is something that God, listen to me, will not do for you. You and I have to forgive other people. We have to. You you don't have to be restored to fellowship, but you do have to forgive. Forgiveness is not optional. 
One of the most amazing stories of forgiveness I've ever heard is the story of Corrie Ten Boom. And if you don't know who she is, she was a Jewish woman during the Nazi takeover of Europe. And she and her family were arrested and hauled off to a concentration camp. Corey and her sister were put in the same concentration camp. Corey watched her sister slowly starve to death and be insufferably abused by this one particular Nazi concentration camp guard. She sat there helplessly as her sister finally ultimately died. Corrie ten Boom was released accidentally from the concentration camp through a clerical error, and she escaped. All the rest of her family were gassed, except her sister, who died of starvation. Years later, Corrie ten Boom met the guard who had so brutally mistreated her and her sister and was really responsible for the death of her sister. And she walked up to the guard and she forgave him. I'm not going to hyper-spiritualize myself to you today. I don't know if I could have done that. Maybe I've watched too much about the martial arts. I know how to break somebody's neck. (laughs) Did I say that out loud? Sorry. Let me pray for you. (laughs) Got a good grip there, preacher. Yeah, you ain't seen nothing yet. I don't know if I could have done that. I mean, that's a tall order. That's serious forgiveness. Like Jesus looking down from the cross when he had the power to destroy them all and prove who he was. And saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Man, that's grown up stuff now. That is grown-up stuff. There may be people and circumstances in your life that you have not yet processed your way through forgiveness to. I'm going to tell you something. Now, listen to me. You'll never be free until you get free from that through forgiveness. You have to make a life-altering decision to forgive. If you'll start every morning with prayer and study in the Word and some worship music, and you'll make a life-altering decision to do whatever you have to do to process your way through to, to real, genuine forgiveness, your life will change. You'll become free. You'll know what peace feels like. You'll be able to sleep at night. You won't be driven by anger. And you'll never be able to forget what happened. This, this, this saying, oh, we forgive and forget. You can't forget. You're not supposed to forget. You'll never be able to forget. The secret to forgiveness is when you can remember without the pain and anger. Then you know you're forgiven. Number three, begin seeking after the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Let me just tell you that the baptism in the Holy Spirit will change your life almost as much as salvation did. I'm not going to get into a lengthy teaching on this here this morning, but I'm going to tell you there are a lot of Christians I know who battle battle with their emotions. Most Christians are dominated by their emotions. They're just dictated to, they process their entire life through what they feel, their emotions. You will never know peace 
doing that. You'll never have a happy marriage doing that. You'll never have a good relation with your children operating that way. You'll be dysfunctional at work. You won't be at peace inside yourself. Emotions aren't wrong, but they're not designed to control our lives. God hardwired them into us. He gave us emotions, but not for them to rise up and dominate. For us to dominate. Second Corinthians chapter 10 says, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. An emotion is just a thought with some hormones attached to it. That's all a feeling really is. If you can learn to control your emotions, you can live your life in peace and take your life to a whole nother level. Transform your life. I want to say a word about this now. I don't want you to hear me. I believe after many, many, many years in the ministry that what people read, what we watch, whether it be television, online, YouTube, any kind of thing that we put before us, all the entertainment, all the things that we watch, the movies we attend, the shows we watch, all these things, I am absolutely convinced that these things have a powerful impact on our lives. Be careful what you put in front of you. Ask yourself, what is it about this that's good for me? Ask yourself, how is this affecting me? Ask yourself, what is it about this that would please God? I know that seems super spiritual. And people nowadays think, well, that's just silly. I'm not going to, that's just, just television. It's just this, it's just that. When Ted Bundy started killing women, he decided that years before that, that his first peek into soft pornography, well, it's just a Victoria's Secret catalog, or it's just a Playboy, or whatever it was. It's just, I've heard that phrase, well, oh, it's just this, or it's just that. So many times to justify marginal, if not ungodly behavior. We ought not to be seeing how close to the world we can live our lives. We ought to be trying to figure out how we can get as close to God as we possibly can in this dark, perverse world. I'm just going to tell you there's a whole bunch of stuff out there that you don't need inside your head. You don't. Begin seeking after the baptism in the Holy Spirit. How do I do that, Pastor? Begin to ask God, ask Jesus, ask him to fill you with the Holy Spirit. This is something that once you start, you don't ever need to stop. How will I know that I've been filled with the Holy Spirit? You'll speak in tongues. In the book of Acts, there are five occasions, five occasions where people were filled with the Holy Spirit. In three of those occasions, it's written right there that they spoke in other tongues. In the other two, which is Paul the Apostle and Simon the Sorcerer, it's so strongly implied that we have really no other recourse but to believe that they spoke in tongues too. So it is, it is within reason, and the Assemblies of God's position on it is, that the initial physical evidence of baptism in the Holy Spirit is speaking in other tongues. And listen, I know, oh my goodness, that's one of those churches where they speak in tongues and swing from the chandeliers, you know. This was the common occurrence of the New Testament church. Every one of these gospel writers that you read in your Bible were filled with the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, every one of them. Mother Mary, for those of you who have a Catholic past, Mary was in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was a tongue-talking Pentecostal. Don't let your background, your upbringing, and your culture 
deprive you of the most powerful force on planet earth today, the spirit of God operating inside you. You want the gifts of the spirit? They come through baptism in the spirit. You want the fruit of the spirit? It comes through baptism in the Holy Spirit. You want the wisdom and the illumination of the Holy Spirit? It comes through baptism in the Holy Spirit. So if you're here and you have never been filled with the Holy Spirit, let me encourage you today, start seeking the baptism in the Holy Spirit and don't stop until he fills you. Number four, once and for all, get rid of sinful habits. God's not going to do this for you. But I don't have to do that, Pastor. I'm saved. The Bible says, be holy, for without holiness, no one will see the Lord. The Bible says the grace of God, uh, Titus chapter 2, the grace of God that has appeared to all men brings salvation. But, and it also teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions and to live upright lives in this God-forsaken world. Grace is not just to bring salvation. Grace is a power to say no to sin. Sin, I'm going to tell you something. Sin is not a default mode. Sin is a choice. It is. You don't, you don't find yourself stealing money from your work like you walked down the street and fell in a manhole. Oh, my goodness. It's like the woman that said, I went to the grocery store and I bought this organic broccoli, but by the time I got home, I realized it was just regular donuts. How'd this happen? I love my son, Jeremy, and he's grown up to be an awesome man of God. When he was a little, little boy, I walked around behind the church on Bright Star Road. Now get this. He was knelt down beside the church. He had some leaves. He had torn them up, and they were in a little pile. I happened to have one. And he had a lighter. And he was sitting there with this lighter in his hand and he was and I walked around the corner and the leaves were smoking and he put the lighter down and he jumped up and he said I just came around here and saw that like that daddy (laughs) witchcraft you wouldn't lie to me would you son Let me tell you something about sin. In our culture, people have decided that nobody's got the right to judge anything anymore. But the fact of the matter is, there are some things we can judge, and sin is one of those things. What is sin? Sin is willful disobedience to or lack of conformity to the law of God. There are a lot of gray areas, and that's where a lot of Christians like to live. They like to live in these gray areas where it's hard to say, well, that's sinful, but boy, it's on the road that leads to it if it's not. We need to get rid of sinful habits in our lives because sin is the one thing that's going to keep us out of heaven. Sin is the one thing that's going to toxify your life. Sin's the one thing that's going to keep God from answering your prayers. People don't understand this. David said, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have heard me. 
Sin keeps God from answering prayers in our lives. Everybody in the world in America nowadays seems to think they can live any way they want to. And when times get tough, they can throw up a quick prayer and God's going to go, oh, look, Gabriel, I'm so excited that they finally prayed just for a minute. I'm going to give them anything they want. Oh, goody, 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 goody. That's just not the way it works, guys. It is the sinful habit in your life that is robbing you of the miraculous. It is sin in your life that is making you feel guilt when you lay your head on your pillow at night. It's sin in your life that is injecting doubt into your prayer life because condemnation and guilt are there and you know God has no reason to answer your prayers because you're living in rebellion against him. Get rid of the sinful habits in your life. Yes, we need to confess. Yes, we need to repent. Yes, we can't be holy enough. I know I'm not talking about works-based faith. I'm talking about come to Jesus, repent of your sin, accept his grace, accept him as savior, get saved, then go out and get rid of sinful habits in your life. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. The old has gone. The new has Jesus healed somebody one time. They got up, ran around town for a little bit, found Jesus again. And Jesus looked at him and said, hey, stop sinning or something worse might happen to you. You know, I've never in my life heard a sermon on that on Christian television, not one ever. Never heard that used as a text. Nobody wants to talk about God as anything else but basically a glorified ATM machine. Punch in the right code, get what we want. And preachers and churches have fed right into that. Because we've discovered that all you have to do to fill up your church is make people feel good. I am not in business to make you feel good. I am here to prompt you to be transformed by the power of the gospel. I don't want any of us to feel better about the sorry life we live. I want us to change and become more like Christ. Once and for all, get rid of sinful habits. It doesn't matter if it's three months between the sinful habit manifesting. If it's still there, it's still there. In, in my basement, I have a mount. It's, it's not the fish. It's a replica of the fish. I let the fish go alive and well. A 26-inch long rainbow trout, 16 inches in girth, probably weighed 10, 12 pounds. I caught that fish. He weighs 10 to 12 pounds. I caught him on four-pound test line. It took me 20 minutes to land that fish. He ran 150 yards down the stream. Took me a long time to get him stripped back in and wound back in. But I finally did. When I put the net in the water, he took off and ran right back down the stream again. I worked him. I walked up and down that stream. I was on, I was on, I was on that fish for 20 minutes. Finally, he turned up on his side, and I planed him out and put him in that net. Listen, I had that little tiny hook. The, the whole lure I caught him on was that big, a number 26 fly. You, could, you can hardly see it. I caught that trout on a lure about the thickness of three quarters from the side stacked up together. That's how small that fly was. But that hook was in his jaw so good. He could have been on my line for 10 hours, 10 days, 10 months. He'd have never got off. 
And you know, when he took off running down that stream, he thought for those few minutes, well, I'm free because I just let him run. But as long as that hook was in him, he was mine. It's just a matter of time. Listen, as long as Satan has a hook in you of sin, no matter how long it is between the times you fall, as long as that hook's in there, that habit, it might be anger, it might be pornography, it might be theft, it might be bitterness, it might be whatever it is in your life. As long as that hook is in there, Satan has got you. It's just a matter of when you get so tired you can't fight anymore. And he reels you in and takes you in the net and takes you out. Number five. This is going to be real popular. <clears throat> get healthy. Everybody say amen. amen. Everybody say I love you preacher. preacher. Alright. I'm not going to jump up and down on this too much. But I will tell you this. If you don't know anything about the UFC, there was a black man in the UFC named Kimbo Slice. And Kimbo is a street fighter out of Florida, I think. And he became famous by knocking people's teeth out in the street, street fights. And just muscled up everywhere. And then he got in the UFC and he realized you have to know more. And I keep telling people this. You got to know more than how to throw a heavy punch. You got to be able to function on the ground. Almost, almost all street fights within the first one minute end up on the ground. You don't know what to do on the ground. You're gonna get, you're gonna get it handed to you. So anyway, Kimbo Slice, he, he's making his way up through the, through the ranks, and he's doing pretty good. And he's just, he's one of the most feared fighters because he hits so hard. He's so muscled up. And just a few months back, I think in his late 30s, he, he just falls over dead. He's out of here heart attack. You got to get healthy. I'm talking about physically. You got to get healthy. Listen, you can't eat a diet of garbage food and expect to feel good. And don't fool yourself to think it won't affect you psychologically. It will affect you. There are people that are on all kinds of prescription medication. I mean, you just bottles every day, pills every day for the rest of your life, when really, if you'd clean up your diet, at least some, if not most of those, maybe all of those might go away. And we'll go buy a fast food place, and we'll get stuff that's not even food. It's not really even food. When you can leave a hamburger out for six months, and it won't even mold, something wrong with that. By the way, they took a genetically modified piece of corn and a regular old organic piece of corn and put it out on a squirrel feeder, and the squirrels ate all the regular old organic natural. Organic simply means that we didn't pervert it. It's the way the pioneers used to grow food. That's what organic means. We didn't do anything weird to it. All this other stuff means we've put pesticides on it and chemicals on it and all this growth medium stuff on it, preservatives on it. Organic means this, they should change it to just pure natural or something. People say, ooh, organic, what does that mean? It just means it's, it's good for you. The squirrels ate none of the GMO, genetically modified corn, none. They would peel it off, nibble on it, and leave it there. Let me just encourage you to understand how important this is. I'm not going to get into this and condemning people. I'm not going to beat you up. You may have a ham in your crock pot waiting for you at home today with a, with a pineapple cheesecake. Oh, my Lord. 
There's pleasure in sin for a season. There is. Beware the lust of the eye and the tongue, you know. But you may have some glorious dessert sitting in your refrigerator. Look, I'm not condemning you. I'm saying I'm asking you to stop and think about what we're all doing to our bodies, which are called the temples of the Holy Spirit. And let me give you a tip on this. When your body checks out, you ain't got nowhere else to live. Heaven or hell? Well, this is real uncomfortable, Pastor. I know it is. I hate talking about this myself. Nobody loves good food more than me. I fantasize <laughs> about good food. I'm trying to eat healthy. I find myself just fantasizing about, about a Cracker Barrel biscuit the size of this auditorium and a backpack with butter on one side and jelly on the other, and I'm eating my way through it. You know, I, I have dreams about pecan pancakes. You know, I, I, I think about going to the Cheesecake Island. You know, I think about these things. Uh, None of us are going to live forever, but we can sure be healthier while we do. And the latest study has shown that eating a healthy diet and getting some exercise can add average 17 to 20 years to your life. Think about that. The most long-lived group of people in America are Seventh-day Adventists. Of all the weird people. You know why? They're vegetarians. I'm not saying you got to go be a vegetarian. I'm saying they eat healthy. They live on an average of 15 to 20 years longer than everybody else in this country. Think about what I just said. 15 to 20 years longer. That's long enough to see your great-grandchild grow up, graduate high school, and get married. Think about that. Next time you want to pop a piece of pecan pie with ice cream in that pie hole. And I do want to tell you that lifting the remote and pushing the button does not qualify as exercise. It really doesn't. Get healthy, guys. Come on. Let's, let's try to get healthy. How are you going to be? How is your body going to be functioning when you're 87 years old? I know a man named H.B. Smith lives in South Carolina. H.B. has been healthy. He hardly eats anything but vegetables. He grows in the garden. HB's 93, 94 now, and just as healthy as a horse out there working in the garden, no problems. He looks like he's about 50 because he eats healthy food. Now, I'm going to tell you straight, it's a lot more fun to eat the country fried steak and gravy. Yes, glory to God, it is. I saw a restaurant thing the other day. And they got a country fried steak about the size of the front of that speaker right there, covered up with gravy. I had to wipe drool off my mouth. If you eat it in 12 minutes, you get it free. I thought, 12 minutes? Your heart's going to go. It's a lot more fun to eat the country fried steak. I'll tell you right now, I'm going to say this just for the fun of it. One of my favorite things in the world was to go to the Cracker Barrel and get me a Grandpa's, wait, the grandma, grandpa, grandpa's country fried breakfast. And they had chicken fried chicken. 
and hash brown casserole with cheese and a stack of pecan pancakes and some biscuits and eggs and all this stuff. And just sit there and, and eat about 4,000 calories and about 300 fat grams. I don't do that anymore. You know why I don't do that anymore? Because I'm trying to get there. Does it taste better than naked broccoli? Absolutely. Do you drool over it even now? Absolutely. I lust after it. I have not conquered it. But I hadn't eaten it in about three years either. I know it's good. I know how to order it. I go there right now. I got some cash. I go there right now and get it if I want to. The question is, what do I want worse? To satisfy my taste buds or to go there? All the elements of discipline in our lives are a competition between what we want now and what we need most. All the elements of discipline in our lives are a competition between what we want now and what we need most. You want to be around for your grandchildren? We always say, well, that's kind of up to the Lord. Maybe not. Might be God's will for you to live to be 117 years old, but you can eat yourself in the ground by the time you're 85. Think about that. That's 32 years difference. Scientists tell us today that if we ate a healthy diet, there's no reason why the average human being should not live to 120 to 125 years of age, especially in America. And so the main reason that we die in our 70s and 80s is diet. Get healthy. Next, I hear a collective. <sighs> Next, again, no condemnation, just encouragement. Get healthy. Number six, get out of debt and get control of your finances. Get out of debt. You want to bring some peace to your life? Get out of debt. Let me tell you how to get out of debt. Number one, stop buying stuff you don't need. You know, the best way to, the best thing to do when you find yourself in a hole is to quit digging. Stop impulse buying. Don't watch the QVC channel anymore. If you've got financial problems, if you've got financial problems, just listen, just shut it down. Just shut it down. Impulse buying means you didn't give adequate thought to that purchase. You just bought it in the moment. You just bought it because you wanted it. Years and years and years ago, before Pastor Don and I learned this lesson, we lived in Florida, and we got a thing in the mail. It's when all this stuff first came out, time sharing. Got a thing in the mail. Went a free 35-millimeter camera and a free vacation to somewhere, and we we were poor as dirt, sharing a plate from Publix Deli for lunch, you know. And I said, man, let's go do this. We'll get a camera. We'll get to take a vacation. And we can take pictures of our vacation with the camera. Yeah, let's go. So we drove an hour and a half and sat down and listened to that thing. And boy, they made it sound like the best thing since sliced bread. So we signed up for a timeshare. And they gave me a camera as cheap as you could possibly make a 35 millimeter camera. And it wouldn't even stay closed. And I went back, and, I, and they had to go through about five cameras before they finally found one that would close. And I said, now, do I have to give this? But no, you can keep that no matter what you decide. So on the way home, we started talking. And the, the dawn of reason 
came to light in our minds. And we looked at each other and said, what have we just done? We put ourselves in debt forever. So we didn't have cell phones. That was back when Martin Luther had just nailed a 95 thesis to the door. <laughs> so when I got home, I picked up the phone and I called the number and I said, I want to undo what I just did. Oh, bro, you just, you just shouldn't do that, Mr. Yard. I said, don't, don't say another word. Just undo it. Because in Florida, you had three days. I didn't wait three hours. I undid it. I said, undo it, undo it. We done did it. We want to undo it. So they undid it. And we didn't go on the vacation because we didn't feel right about it. But we kept the camera for the price of the trip. <laughs> Impulse buying. Wait three days before you buy something significant. And ask yourself, do you really need that? Do you really need that? Now, the way to, the way to pay off debt is to start with the smallest debt you have. If you've got three credit cards and you owe, you know, 2000 on one and 1500 on another one, and you got a store card somewhere, Dillard's, Macy's, somewhere, Walmart, whatever, for, for $250, start with the small one and pay it off. And then don't, don't, don't close the account because that'll damage your credit rating. In case you don't know, when you pay off a credit card, if you close the account, that's a negative on your credit report. Don't close the account. And if you can't control your spending, take the card out of your wallet and put it in the drawer. Or get a safety deposit box at, at the post office and put it in there if you can't control yourself. Don't carry, don't carry around a loaded gun unless you're prepared to shoot it. Don't carry around an empty credit card if you've got no self-control. An empty credit card is not money you should be spending it ought to be there just in case of an emergency. And because something goes on sale, buy one, get one free, is not an emergency. And when something that normally costs $200 is on sale for $100, oh, look, honey, we saved $100. No, you didn't. You spent $100. But it was worth. That's just what they say. If you don't really need it, don't spend it. Don't buy it. Pay off the sm smallest card first, then take that money and apply it to the next biggest card and pay that or debt or loan or whatever it is you have. And it's, I say credit cards because a lot of these credit cards people have now are 18, 22, 26% interest. It's just, it's just brain dead to be walking around with a whole bunch of credit card debt paying 24, 22, 26% interest. Pay it off and keep it empty. If you have the power within you to do it, drive that car till Jesus comes back. But them new ones are so nice. Yeah, so is that $500 a month payment. Last, discover your gifts, your purpose, and get involved in kingdom work. No more excuses. He is dead and gone now. And I don't agree with everything he said. And when he talked about God, I'm not even sure who he was talking about. But Dr. Wayne Dyer, in one of his many public broadcasting exposés, did a whole thing on no more excuses. Excuses be gone is what it was called. And it was powerful. And basically the whole thing can be distilled into this one sentence. Stop making excuses and start making good decisions. Stop saying why you can't do something. Stop making excuses for what hasn't gone right. Take some responsibility and take some authority in your life and start making good choices. 
Discover your gifts. What are your gifts in the kingdom of God? What are your gifts? What are your proclivities? We read in Romans 12 that there are many different gifts. Those, that list in Romans 12 is called the motivational gifts. What are your gifts? Are you a, a good teacher? Are you a good uh, encourager? Are you a good administrator? Are you an excellent leader? What are your gifts? Discover your gifts. What is your purpose in life? Why are you here? You ever ask yourself that? Have you ever really gotten serious and ask yourself, why did God put me here? No, preacher, I'm a biological accident. There's no such thing as a human being who's an accident. God formed you in your mother's womb on purpose and intentionally. Your life is a gift from God to you, and God has a plan and a purpose behind it. Find out what that purpose is. What are your gifts? What purpose are you designed to use those gifts in? And get involved in kingdom work. How many of you work a job? Raise your hand. How many of you get paid most of the time for working that job? Okay. Just as surely as you work a job and you get paid, God expects us to go to work in his kingdom and we're going to get paid both now and later. First Corinthians talks about that the works we do, uh, we send up before us and some are wood, hay and stubble and some are gold, silver and precious stones. And we send these building materials up to God before we get to heaven. And that's going to comprise our reward. The stuff we do for the kingdom, that's gold, precious stones, silver. The stuff we do with a right heart motive, that's gold, silver, precious stones. The stuff we do out of guilt, the stuff we do in our hearts not in it, the stuff we do for personal aggrandizement, that's wood, hay, and stubble. And the Bible says that every man's work will be tested by fire, and the fire will reveal the quality of the work. There's a lot of work to be done in the house of God. There's a lot of ministry that needs to be done. I want you to take a minute. We're just going to hit the pause button. And I want you to purposefully look around at some of the people around you. Look, look around. Just look at them. Look behind you. Nobody ever looks behind them. Look behind you. See who's back there. Look around. Has it ever occurred to you that those people that you just looked at might be going through something in their life? Has it ever occurred to us that other people have problems besides just us? Has it ever occurred to us that the earth revolves around the sun? Not us. We get so fixated on our own issues. We get so internalized with our problems. We get so self interested in what's going on in our lives that we become paralyzed in our ability to ever help or minister to somebody else. There are people in this church and people who ordinarily attend who might be out this morning that have stuff going on in their lives. These people are dealing with issues that are, that are difficult. They're in a challenging place in their lives. Many of them walk around with wounds and hurts gaping open in their very soul. And they need somebody besides me or Pastor Josh or Pastor Don or Pastor Kelly to be able to come in and sit and say, hey, man, what's going on in your life? When's the last time God used you to minister healing to somebody else? We see the church as a place where we get to come and we get to sit and we get to receive and we get blessed. And, and if we have any problems, we get ministered to. But that's not just the one-dimensional way it works. God put the church together so that the body could heal itself. If I cut my hand 
It's not my brain that puts ointment on that and cleans it out and puts a Band-Aid on it. It's my other hand. And then I have a thumb and a finger. Aren't you thankful for opposable thumbs? One of my favorite Far Side cartoons shows these two cows. Two cows are sitting at home on a sofa, and there's a telephone on the table, and it's ringing. And one cow says to the other, oh, great, and here we sit without opposable thumbs. This hand ministers to this hand. My head doesn't always do it. My mouth doesn't always do it. Sometimes it's another part of the body, very similar to this part of the body, that ministers the healing. We think everything, all ministry needs to flow from pulpit, flow from leadership. But I'm here to tell you the body of Christ ought to be built up and grown up and mature to the point that we can minister to one another. Get involved in kingdom work, guys. Find out where you can get plugged in and put to work. Find out what you can do to further the gospel. Find out how you can be a blessing to your church. People applauded, and it's gone down in history as one of the greatest statements ever made by a president. When John F. Kennedy said, ask not what your country can do for you, ask rather what you can do for your country. And we just love it. Well, let me just tell you this morning, I want to say, ask not what your church can do for you. Ask rather what you can do for your churchy. <laughs> when Pastor Josh and Kelly take over, they're going to need some people to step up. They're going to need some people to be fearlessly, dynamically committed to the ongoing carriage and future of this church. I dare you to step up and see what God might do in and through your life. I dare you to let God use you in ways you never dreamed possible before. I dare you to let God stretch you and expand you and put you in places where you'll find out just how much of his grace can operate through and in your life. Bow your heads and close your eyes.